Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Here we are with episode 88, and we're going to talk about gaining confidence, keeping confidence, and when it's just time to give up on that van build. We're also going to talk about, uh, well, why your van pulls to the right and why that's a good thing. A tale from the road involving, well, passing out in an RV and a product review of a massive 200 amp hour lithium battery. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, I am deep, deep, deep in the middle of ripping this ambulance apart. And it is consuming almost all of my time. Either I'm in the ambulance or I'm thinking about it and I have basically stopped making videos and doing anything else other than working on this vehicle. And that's kind of normal. Uh, I could use a little bit of work-life balance or life-life balance or just, just balance. I could use a little balance. But hey, I'm nothing if not extreme. So, uh, you know, that's my life now. And, you know, there are times when I take a step back. And I look at what I've done. What have I done? Well, I bought a perfectly serviceable ambulance. This, this ambulance was ready to go back into service. If someone had purchased it to use it as an ambulance, all they'd need to do is fill it with supplies and go save people. And then I destroyed it. I mean, <laughs> I ripped everything out of it. It Now, currently, it is a destroyed ambulance. It has little bits and pieces of ambulance here and there. Like, I still have the flashing blue lights on the top, but the siren's gone. The radio's gone. The suction's gone. The oxygen tanks are gone. A lot of the cabinetry has been destroyed. The floor's all ripped. I mean, it looks like hell. And I'm in this point where I can easily step back and say, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What a huge mistake I've made. Blah, 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 blah. And all of that is completely normal and predictable and not really important. So let's talk about this a little bit because I think there are a lot of people now. I mean, here we are. We're in the middle of August, heading towards the end of August. And I know, I know there are folks out there who purchase their van maybe in May, maybe in April, with the thoughts of spending the summer traveling the country or traveling many countries in their nicely converted van And here they are months later, knee-deep in sawdust and holes in the roof and whatever else they may not like about their vans, thinking that they've made a huge mistake and that they'll never finish. That's right, I'm talking to you. No, no, you. Yes, you. I'm, I'm coming at you now, either through your headphones or through your car radio, talking specifically to you about how you're going to get through this. And... The answer I always fall back on, and it's the answer that got me through the other van build and a lot of other projects in my life is, well, it's sort of, you know, failure is not an option. I mean, all right, that's a little cliche, and and I thank Gene Krantz for saying that. Side note, I did get to sit in his actual chair in Mission Control in Houston once. Thank you, Naomi, for presenting me with that opportunity. And it's... I. I don't have that as an option. So, you know, and I'm sitting there literally on the floor of the van holding something that is wrong, that shouldn't be there, that I can't remove. And I'll tell you a story about that in a second. I, uh, I'd like, well, why, I don't have to do this. I could just get rid of this. I don't have to do this. But that isn't, that option, that isn't there. It's axiomatic that I must finish this van. And just having that in mind keeps me through it. 
I've said many times that determination is a substitute for lack of money and lack of skill. Money part, I'm pretty much okay on. Skill, uh, I'm definitely lacking there. Uh, what, but Jeff, you're hosting this podcast talking about van life. What do you mean you have a lack of skill? We're here to learn from you. Don't look. Yeah. Well, look, what you're going to learn from me is, is reality. Uh, that's the best I have to offer. I am not a skilled craftsman by any means. I do try to research the stuff I talk about, but I make plenty of mistakes. So, so here's a perfect example, a perfect illustration of this situation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, I don't remember, uh, I talked about how to remove bolts when they go through a wall and you only have access to one side of the wall and you use vice grips to grab one part and then you use a socket wrench in the other part. The vice grips act like another person. Well, that trick works great if you can get at the other side of the wall. And what I'm finding in this ambulance is that I often can't. Case in point... The ambulance has what's called a captain's chair in it, and they almost all do. This is a chair that faces directly away from the driver's seat. It's behind the driver's seat, facing the other way. In my ambulance, the captain's chair is on this very strong locking metal pedestal. It's, a, it's like a box that you can store stuff in, and I found a whole bunch of uh, latex gloves in there. And then the, the seat's bolted on top of that. Now, I like the seat, but I decided that I had to remove it because I didn't have space to put my battery in. And where that seat was was blocking an absolutely perfect place to put the battery. So I open the box and I look and see, oh yeah, okay, there's a few bolts up top to remove the seat. And these seats are very heavy. So I took off the seat and then I just had the box on the floor. And I peered inside and I saw four bolts going through the floor. And I thought, okay, well, I have to crawl under the van again and do my vice grip trick. And I crawled under the van, and there were two of the bolts sitting right there. I clamped them off and took them out, just like I had planned. Worked great. But I couldn't find the other two bolts. Like, I knew they were there, obviously. I could see the top of them, but I couldn't find the bottoms. Where did they go? Well, they had to be there. And so I measured, you know, how far apart they were, and then crawled under the van and measured where they should be. And where those bolts should be, I found 26 gallons of diesel fuel because I had just filled the tank. That's right, folks. When they put this seat in at the ambulance factory, they dropped the fuel tank, put these bolts in, and then put the fuel tank back. Now, remember, I don't have a shop. I'm working on this vehicle in parking lots, trying not to annoy people. I don't really have a great place to drop a fuel tank, especially one that's full. So I'm screwed. <laughs> Basically, I've got no way to remove those bolts. But because failure's not an option, I did. I did remove the bolts. And how did I do that? Well, I spent about an hour van standing. I just stood there looking at this, imagining all the different ways that those bolts could be removed. Could I just take a hacksaw and cut the heads off? I mean, maybe, except these are seatbelt bolts, which are super tough and it would have taken me forever. Did I have a power tool that could have done that? Well, not really, and I don't have access to AC power, so whatever I had would have to be battery powered. And like, oh, and uh, eventually I came up with this scheme, after many, many permutations, of taking a hole saw, removing the pilot bit, and then putting the hole saw around the top of the bolt and drilling through the base of the metal box. And I did that twice, and I was able to remove the box. Now, the bolts are still there. I still have the bolts in the floor, but the box is out of the way, and now I can install my battery, which I did. 
That was hell. That was no fun. That was exactly the kind of stuff I never want to do. My van is filled with metal shavings. Even though I had magnets around to catch the metal shavings, I drilled through so much metal that it was unavoidable. And it was one of these things where I had to drill through multiple layers because there were these big washers there, and my hole saw was smaller than the washer, so I had to drill through the washer and then through the metal of the box. And then, oh, they put the holes through the seam, so I had two layers of metal Anyway, I could go on and on. But this was definitely a low point of the build, and a point at which I could have given up. But I didn't, because giving up wasn't an option. And so the message of this to you is, don't give up, because it's not on the table. Giving up is not an option. It's not there. That's not one of the things you can do. With that mindset, you hopefully will find more and more creative solutions to problems just as I did. And no, it won't be fun. It's not fun. The truth is that a lot of van building isn't fun. A lot of van videos that you find on Instagram and YouTube will show you, oh, here's how we built our van and we planned everything out and it all went perfectly and aren't we smart and clever and liars liars. <laughs> Nobody's van build goes like that. Even the professional van builds don't go like that. I know this because I am in a professionally built ambulance and when I'm removing things, I'm seeing evidence of false starts and empty screw holes and things that show that uh, maybe we'll do this a little different. Everybody's winging it. Some are winging it more than others and I am so far out on the wing that I'm pretty much an albatross. I am definitely definitely winging it. But I'm not giving up. I will get this done, even with the problems of not having a workshop and other things like that. Don't give up. These discouragements that you're feeling are normal. This is normal. It's fine. The people who are out there on the road in their van builds that they like are the people who got past these points. Now, that said, sometimes it is time to give up. When is it time to give up? And that point is when you've decided that the pain you're going through isn't worth the reward. And that's a difficult calculus. That's something, it's completely individual. You have to decide that for yourself. But sure, there is a point at which it isn't worth it. And you should let that go just for your own mental health. And don't worry, you'll be able to sell your van. Even if it's half built out, somebody will want to buy it. That will happen. And don't feel bad about it. You tried something, and it just didn't work out. So you stopped. Reminds me of a certain thing that's been in the news lately. It is okay to quit when quitting is the right thing to do. But make sure it's the right thing to do. Make sure this isn't temporary discomfort that you can overcome. And that's the mode I'm in right now. Boy, am I looking forward to the day when this van is done. But I'm not there now. Right now, I'm in a mess. And... It's a little embarrassing, actually, because people keep coming over to say, oh, look at the ambulance. What are you doing in there? And I'm like, oh, you really do not want to see what's behind this door. Uh, not yet, anyway. <laughs> but hopefully that will improve. Tech Talk. So you're in your van, and you're driving down the highway, and you get your favorite tunes on. Everything's good and groovy. And then just because you're driving down the road and you've been in the van for two hours, you're like, well, what happens if I let go of the steering wheel? And you do, carefully, safely, and you notice that the van starts to gradually go to the right. 
it's like it's going to drive off the road if you don't hold on to the steering wheel, which is why you hold on to the steering wheel. But does that mean you need an alignment? Is there something wrong with one of your tires? Is this a bad thing? Should you be worried about this? Well, no. In fact, that's what you want. And I shall explain. Years ago, wheel alignments were a big thing. Like, you had to do them once a year, at least. There are screws and other parts that are adjustable that basically can make your wheels move in or out. And those adjustments are designed to make the vehicle go straight. Because when your vehicle goes straight, it's causing the least wear on the tires, and it's also making the vehicle more stable, and it saves gas. But the thing is, a perfectly aligned vehicle on a modern paved road will go to the right. <laughs> and it's not because the car's out of alignment, it's because the road isn't flat. Roads are swaled, that's the term for it. Roads are basically an arc, a very, very gradual arc, with the tallest point in the middle and the lowest points at the side. And that's the clue there. Why are they like this? So rain will go off of them. Rain will land and go to the sides and into gutters or whatever. That's how roads are designed. It makes sense because standing water is bad for traction and, you know, life. So a well-aligned vehicle will gradually pull to the right as you're driving down the road. If your vehicle pulls to the left consistently on many, many roads, you probably need an alignment. If your vehicle goes straight and doesn't pull either way, well, you're probably okay. That means your vehicle is maybe pulling a little bit to the left, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. And if your vehicle pulls to the right severely, which I did have a vehicle do this once that I let go of the wheel, it would immediately like lurch to the right. Yeah, no, that's bad. You don't, you don't want that. You want to have an alignment done. I haven't had an alignment done on a vehicle in so long. I don't know what they did to improve the way it works, but they've done a great job with it. But there are times where you need to do it. And it's one of these things that if you put it off, it's just going to keep costing you more money. So if you have one of those veering problems, definitely get an alignment done as soon as you can. Or have it diagnosed. It, it isn't always alignment. Sometimes a bad tire can cause that. Or even a, like a sticking brake can cause that too. If your vehicle isn't gradually pulling to the right on a major modern road, yeah, you probably have something wrong. But if it is... Good! Tales from the road! Way back in the day. Oh, uh, when was this? Probably the. This was probably 89, maybe 1990. In Utah, Sandy, Utah. In fact, I worked at a company called ABRV, Ardell Brown RV. It was a big RV dealer in Utah. It's, uh, it's gone now. Uh, I was uh, basically a, a, a shop boy. Um, I would just do all the little tasks, menial tasks in the shop, you know, washing, filling propane, um, and one of my jobs was applying Scotchgard. <laughs> Scotchgard. If you're not familiar with Scotchgard, it was this chemical spray that you would put over upholstery and carpet, and it would basically repel dirt. That was the idea. Well, as with many chemicals that you spray, it had a propellant in it, and that propellant would evaporate. And often these propellants that evaporate are not good for you. If you've ever heard of huffing, well, what you're huffing is that propellant, and yeah, it'll make you feel high. I was tasked with spraying a 36-foot Winnebago. It was the largest Winnebago they made at the time. Massive fiberglass thing with dualies, I mean, just ridiculously long. 
I remember it had pink carpet and pink upholstery. You know, it was going to be a couple hours in there. So, uh, you know, I went in and um, I put on the respirator, a mask. Like, this was a special mask. The ones with cartridges, the ones that filter out all the bad stuff. Yeah, I was wearing that. And I started spraying around and everything was good. And then I realized just how much I loved my job. It was the best job ever. And I, oh, I can spray this and I can spray that. No, let me get the carpet that's under the table. And oh, the drapes, you know, the drapes can get, I gotta spray the drapes. I had the best time spraying that thing. It was so much fun. And I was like, God, let's, let's do another one. And I went through, I don't know, a gallon of Scotchgard. That was the most Scotchgarded RV ever. And then I was done, and I came outside, and I was like, wow, this is great. Look at this. I just love working here. And people are starting to say, uh-oh, look at him. Something's wrong. Well, it turns out that the cartridges in the mask were the kind that were not supposed to be exposed to air. Basically, they were either one-time use or after you used them, you were supposed to put them in a sealed bag. And the last person who had used it had just left them on the shelf. So I basically sprayed this enclosed RV, no windows open, with no mask, no respiratory protection at all. And I assume now that my lungs are, in fact, Scotch-guarded. And woo, I did definitely get a rush out of it. But before you think to yourself, hmm, I'm going to go get some Scotch-guard and try it out. Yet yeah, no, because then I had the worst headache of my life for like four hours. It was absolutely, completely miserable. So, yeah, no, that is that is not a good way to enjoy your afternoon. There are many, many better ways. And to top it all off, after I did all that, the customer came back and said that they didn't like the color of the carpet and that it should all be ripped out. So, yeah. Product review. Well, folks, I used to have two 35-amp-hour AGM batteries in my NV200, which, so far as I know, they're still in there, and they worked fine. I never ran out of power, therefore I had enough battery power, even though that just seems ridiculously small compared to what most people put in their vans. But now in the ambulance, I think I'm going to have different needs and different capacities, and the fact that I've already installed the microwave oven tells me that, yeah, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. So, I went out and bought... Why do I say that? I went out and bought. Nobody goes out anymore. Pressed some keys on my keyboard and bought a 200 amp hour Ampere Time Lithium battery. I did do research on this thing. This review I'm about to give you isn't a technical review like Will Prouse can do, because I'm just not set up like that. But I can give you my experience of this battery. Like the cheap Chinese diesel heaters, it seems like there are a number of companies in China where almost all these batteries are made making batteries and then putting different stickers on them and selling them as their own. From what I can see, the Chins batteries, the Ampere Time batteries, and the Zoom batteries are all exactly the same. Will Prouse seems to agree with this, and he has torn them all apart and looked at them. Will Prouse, who I disagree with on some things, but generally not things relating to electrical power, says that these batteries are actually pretty good. For a cheap battery, these things perform pretty well. So. I figured, what the heck, I'm gonna give it a try. 200 amp hour battery for 750 bucks. And while 750 bucks is a pretty big investment, it's undoubtedly going to be the most expensive thing I put in the van. It's pretty cheap for 200 amp hours of, of LiPo 4. 
So the battery came, it weighs about 50 pounds. It's really pretty big. It's 20 inches long and about 13 inches wide. It is much bigger than a regular battery. So before you buy one of these things, make sure you know where you're going to put it. But other than that, the thing has worked really, really well. It has a battery management system in it that I have tested accidentally because I actually arced out something in the... It, anyway, yeah, uh, it works. I can tell you it works. <laughs> and the power has been great so far. Now, I haven't been on the road with this for weeks and months yet, but for 750 bucks, you can get a lot of power these days. The lugs are great. It even comes with extra lugs. They're the screw-down kind. Uh, you can put a few different terminals on there. It has nice nylon cord handles to carry it around. The case is solid. It seems great so far. I really don't have anything negative to say about it, except for the one thing that's true of all these cheap lithium batteries, and that is that the BMS does not have low temperature cutoff, which is kind of important if you're going to be using it in the winter. Lithium does not like to be charged below freezing. And if you have solar, you could be in a situation where your solar panels are charging your batteries when they shouldn't be accepting a charge and you could destroy the batteries. So I'm going to install a switch so that that won't happen, but uh, it's something I have to be concerned about and I would much rather that was automatic. That said, for $750, putting 200 amp hours of power in your rig it's the best time ever, honestly, for battery buying for your rig. This thing should last for years and years and years. It has a five-year warranty. It's rated for many thousands of recharge cycles. And they claim it can be discharged to zero. Although I will hope to never do that. Because uh, it just doesn't seem smart. <laughs> So anyway, I'll have a link in the show notes, but remember, this is basically the same as many other kinds of batteries, but this was the one that had the best price and the best delivery schedule. When you're buying these things, make sure you look and see when it will be delivered, because some of them come from China directly, and that can take weeks. Others of them have come already from China in a container ship and are in a U.S. warehouse ready to be shipped. Those will get to you much faster. A place to visit. Well, time to plug a place in good old Chicago here. I have not been to this place in a couple years because, well, you know, COVID. But every time I am ever in the Andersonville neighborhood of Chicago, which is uh, north and west of the downtown area a bit, it's, it's not far, uh, I always go to Woolly Mammoth. Woolly Mammoth is an antique store. It's a curiosity shop. They sell weird things there. And I've come to know the owners over the years. They are wonderful folks. They scour the world, literally. They go on trips all around the world to find weird things to bring back to their shop and sell them to you. And some of the stuff is really weird. The only place I know where you can buy human bones or authentic 100-year-old Rorschach cards or any manner of medical devices. Uh, in fact, right now on their page, they're, they're selling an 1880s casket with a glass window in it that they rescued from an old Oddfellows Hall. Lots of taxidermy, some of it very, very bizarre. That's the kind of thing. You get the idea. And everything they sell is authentic. They're not faking any of this stuff. And the pricing is fairly reasonable. I mean, a lot of this stuff isn't cheap. Their pricing isn't for the esoteric collector. It's more for just everybody. 
who wants something interesting. A couple times I've gone in there and said, hey, I have a budget of whatever, find me something cool. And they'll spend half an hour going around the shop saying, what about this? What about this? Really, really super nice folks. So if you're ever in Chicago, or if you are a fan of the old TV show Oddities, which actually featured Woolly Mammoth in one of their episodes, you definitely want to visit Woolly Mammoth. It's in the Andersonville neighborhood. I will have links in the show notes. One of my favorite places in Chicago, or truly anywhere. Resource recommendation. Light bulbs. Light bulbs have gotten super complicated because there are so many now. It used to be in the 70s that a brake light was a brake light. You would just go get that light. This is the light that goes in the brakes. Headlights, well, they were all exactly the same. And then, oh, well, some of them were square and some of them had the high beams built in. And now, I don't know, there's you know a few hundred kinds of headlights and maybe 70 or 80 different kinds of brake lights. It's gotten very complicated. And for those of us with older vehicles, sometimes it's a little tricky to find things. I'm in the situation now in mine where there are a few lights that are burned out on the inside and I'd like to find an LED replacement. But in order to search for that LED replacement, I need to know what to call this light bulb. Oh, it's that kind of long one that... Well, it maybe looks like a popsicle. Yeah, no, I actually need the name and number. So I have found a site that helps out with this. It is called Bulb America, the largest online light bulb retailer. Now, I have not purchased anything from them. I don't have any recommendation about the company, but I will say thank you very much for the tool they've created for finding light bulbs. I'll have a link in the show notes to this page, but they have one page that shows a car with arrows pointing to where all the lights are and then all the possible lights that could possibly go there with pictures of the lights. So in your van, if you know that, hey, the side turn signal below the rearview mirror is out, you could look at this page and see the arrow that points to that and then see, oh, well, it's probably a W5W, but it could be a T4W. What does the picture look like? Super, super helpful. I, I am very happy to have found this. And now that I know that, like, let's say my a P21W, I can now Google P21W LED and find an LED solution for it. Caveat, and I've talked about this before, be very careful about replacing your automotive light bulbs with LED in your van because a lot of vans have a system that checks to see if the light bulbs are working and LED bulbs confuse it and you may get a situation where it'll say you have a light bulb out and you don't. I know this is true for ProMasters and I'm pretty sure it's true for Sprinters. I think I'm dealing with the problem right now. Anyway, great little resource, very nice and simple. Oh, and they also have a tool where you can just type in your vehicle too. So like if I type in 2011, Sprinter 2500, and boom, there are all the light bulbs. And wow, and there's the one I'm looking for, interior door light bulb. If I click on that, there it is. That is exactly the light bulb I'm looking for. And look at this. The light bulb that I am looking for is called, it's an Osram 6418 C5W 36 millimeter 5 watt 12 volt festoon automotive bulb. <laughs> 249, not very expensive, but there is an LED one. Oh, it's out of stock. All right, well, that's a separate issue. But anyway, great resource. I'll have a link in the show notes. If you have any kind of light bulb concerns, give this thing a try. The Aurora Project. Hey, it's been a long time since I've talked about Auroras, so I thought I'd tell you what's going on with that. 
I have a whole bunch of Auroras in the can waiting for me to make videos of, but I've stopped visiting new Auroras because, well, the pandemic is back. Also, I don't have a van right now. I'm, I'm building this ambulance, which was not something I anticipated doing this summer. So I've kind of interrupted the Aurora project a bit, but it's not over. I haven't given up on it. I'm committed to doing it. And as soon as I get this van up and going, I'm going to start doing more Auroras and then get back on the trail of making the videos. But I do have a little bit of an announcement. I had talked earlier about doing a meetup in Aurora, Oregon, and I'm not going to be able to do that. My plans in Oregon have changed a bit, and I'm actually not going to have my van when I'm in Oregon. And, well, I can't do a van meetup without a van. And also, you know, COVID. Sigh. I'm very tired of talking about that. So, I will try to do a meetup at some point because I would like to see your rigs and to meet some of you folks. Right now, I am planning on being at the Rubber Tramp Rodeo. I don't know when it is or where it is, but I am planning on being there. So if you happen to be there too, absolutely find me and uh, we can exchange stickers or something. I do have a, another note on the Auroras, though. The next Aurora video I'm going to put up is Aurora, Nebraska. And Aurora, Nebraska features my favorite place I found in any of my Aurora travels, and that is Susan's Bookshop. And I have arranged with Susan that we're going to have a giveaway of a $100 gift certificate from her shop if you watch the video and, and do something, which I will explain in the video. So stay tuned for that. That should be coming fairly soon. And... Boy, if you are ever in Aurora, Nebraska, absolutely take the time to see Susan's bookshop and meet Susan. She, she, she's just wonderful. You'll see when you meet her. Thank you very much for listening to episode 88. It is an absolute honor to be able to bring this podcast to you every week. And I'm not going to stop. And even though I have reached 1,000 subscribers on YouTube podcasting is my first love music as always is by simon wag and until next time remember the sage words of winston churchill if you are going through hell keep going <laughs>